beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Hi, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to the podcast. It's always, you know, just amazing uh, to see the listeners grow and to sort of hear the stories that our guests share. So uh, thank you for listening to us, but also listening to their story. I know it means a lot to them. Absolutely. Thank you to all the listeners across the world, across the United States, across Canada, of course, where we're from. But yeah, you know, we like to, we have these conversations and we're doing it on a podcast and it almost feels like, a, you know, a global field, international field. So that's, that's awesome for us and hopefully for you guys as well. Um, today, we have special guest Sabrina Must. Uh, Sabrina Must uses the written word to inspire others to be authentic and raw. She runs SabrinaMust.com, a blog, and is the author of Must Girls Love, a memoir, and The Living Witnesses, Holocaust Survivor Series. Also, she founded Write Less Bad, helping businesses with all their content needs. She has lived on three continents in five U.S. cities, traveled to over 30 countries, and can be always found playing sports, surfing, climbing, and biking around town with her pug, Monkey. Sabrina, welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. So how are you today? How is, uh, how's Monkey doing? She's good. I just put her in the bedroom because she wants to play. She's going to make noise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but she's good. Yeah, she's always active and, and rearing to go. But I'm, I'm doing well. I went to hot yoga, so my mind's all clear and ready to have a chat with you guys. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, you got into that flow. Like, sometimes before I do something that I have to use my brain, I like to do something physical, like go for a hike. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, absolutely. I I scatter activities throughout the day just so I can be creative and sit down and kind of quiet my mind for sure. Um, that's that's how I, I run my lifestyle. Um, you know, yoga, and then I'll work for a few hours, and then I'll surf, and then I'll work for a few hours, and then I'll go do something else, and I'll work for a few hours. That's how I function most most efficiently, for sure. And so when it comes to surfing, does monkey mm-hmm. surf with you? Because I know there's some dogs I saw videos of when they actually have their own surf. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've gotten her on a stand-up, stand-up paddleboard a few times, and she doesn't love it, but she sits there and she gets comfortable and I paddle around. This summer, now that I, I moved to San Diego a year ago, kind of with the intention just to learn to surf and live by the ocean, and so now that I'm really comfortable on my board, this summer when it gets warmer out and the water is not 58 degrees, um, that's, that is my next goal is I'm going to, I'm going to get her on my board and, and start to ride some waves with her. And I'll probably end up, you know, catch a wave and pick her up and hold her while we're, while we're, while we're riding the, riding the wave. So maybe you guys can watch a YouTube video of that at some day. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Like, cause where are you located? You're in Michigan right now. Is that correct? So I'm, I'm from Michigan, but I live in San Diego in California. Oh, okay. Um, I, I moved here a year ago. It was before that, I was living in Austin, Texas. Before that, I was in Chicago, where I went to grad school. Before that, I was living in Michigan after undergrad in Baltimore. Kind of traveled, you know, intermittently throughout that whole period. Yeah, so I've, I've hopped around a decent amount, but I made it to the best coast, as some people say. <laughs> well, yeah, mm-hmm. well, at least weather-wise, for sure. So yeah, let's talk about today. It's cloudy. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, is it chilly over there right now? It is like 60 and cloudy which is not you know that bad you know relative <laughs> to the weather but for me it's bad if it's not sunny i'm not happy so oh um, wow anyways. unfortunate yeah. but you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least the majority of your days are happy which is great <laughs> this is true. 
We're always sad over here. <laughs> but let's get into that. So you did your bachelor's in writing at John Hopkins University and mm -hmm. uh, in 2008, and your master's in writing at Northwestern University in 2012. Um, mm -hmm. Take us back. What led you to take a path in writing? Yeah, so when I, when I started at Hopkins, I, I didn't really have the intention to be a writer. I had, you know, grew up journaling and writing papers, obviously, in school and getting some, you know, published in our little annual, you know, literary um, publication, but didn't, didn't really connect with it that way. I just kind of, I enjoyed writing and that was it. And it was a challenge for me. Um, and then all of a sudden, within like two years of being at Hopkins, I realized that one of the majors that I enjoyed all the class, you know, for which I enjoyed all the classes and I was taking all the distribution classes anyways, was a program called Writing Seminars. It's a pretty special program at Hopkins. Some really, really talented writers um, are the professors and it just kind of worked out and didn't, didn't have any aspirations to become an author or to really have a, a career in writing. I was going to get involved in some like environmental, political kind of newsletter, but it was, it was less about writing. It was more about doing some like social, social work social justice work. Um, I was going to move actually to Panama um, in Central America and then after graduation and then um, my sister died really suddenly and I moved back to Michigan and that's when I started writing and kind of using my skills from undergrad and all of a sudden became an author. And we would you like me to talk about writing those books now? Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. definitely. So, <laughs> okay. So, so well, kinda, let's yeah, let's walk us through that first book that you wrote about your sister. Mm -hmm. So, um, my uh, sometimes I I forget that people don't know my story um, because it's so out there, and especially everyone back from Michigan, everyone knows our family, everyone's read my book. I kind of go with the assumption of oh yeah yeah you know what happened, but most people obviously don't. So in, in November 2007, um, my sister hung herself and committed suicide, obviously. And I, I was extremely close with my sister. Um, she lived in Colorado. And after dealing with, you know, the funeral and getting her body and all the mess of that, um, I moved back to Michigan. I had just by chance was finishing a semester early. So I didn't have to go back to school. If, if I had that last semester to finish out, I truthfully, I probably would not have finished. I, I was such a, I was such a mess. And, and I started writing and then all of a sudden my journals became, I started writing an article about using yoga to grieve. And then I wanted to keep writing and then it became chapters. And then someone had referenced, you know, oh, you're writing a memoir and it, everything just kind of flowed there. There wasn't, you know, it was never kind of a conscious, like, I'm trying to write this until it was already kind of had become that. And I just really dove into, you know, what, why it happened, um, childhood growing up, our familial history of depression and suicide and mental illness and Maya growing up and, you know, investigating her death and maybe considering it a murder. Um, her ex-husband was very abusive. And and then it, it kind of goes very deeply into my year following her death and all the struggles and what was I doing to grieve and all my jobs and writing the book. 
and connecting with myself deeper and my family and kind of, you know, like a cliche of like picking up the pieces. And and that's what kind of the book encapsulates. It's, It's very intense. It's uplifting in some ways, but, you know, you, you, you read it and it's a, um, it's definitely kind of gut wrenching for sure. But I, I wanted to give people a really honest look into this is what happens when someone commits suicide. This is what happens to a family. It's what happens to a young woman. It's not a pretty, a pretty thing by any means. So it, it, it was, but at the same time, um, really great experience and opened me up to, you know, to career that um, is very fulfilling for me and um, changed paths very abruptly, but in, in almost in a weird way for the best. So, yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a, a lot, and I have a ton of questions throughout that. <laughs> throughout yeah, what we're talking about, right? No, it's it's yeah. fine, it's fine. And so, if you can take us back, actually, I think to the beginning, mm-hmm. so more like a timeline. So, what was your relationship like with your sister? So, I'm I'm the youngest of four girls. We're all two years apart. We are very very close as kids. Maya was had just turned 28. I was 21, about to turn 22 when she died, and. Uh, because of the the age separation and the, how close we were in age as a as a as a baby and on, Maya had always kind of taken on like a, a mother role for me. Um, it, you know that we would we would pair up and you know two v two kind of thing with hide and seek or whatnot. And I was always with Maya. Best friends. We had just you know traveled to Southeast. She had, I would I was studying abroad in Southeast Asia, um, based in Bangkok the a year before. And she had flown out there with my mom and then she spent, you know, a few weeks with me traveling around Thailand and then going to India and, you know, saving me when I got really sick and hospitalized in India and just super close. She was awesome, an amazing athlete into, um, you know, rock climbing and mountain biking and snowboarding and all the, you know, kind of stereotypical Colorado sports. And really, really loving. She was, she was bipolar. I, that's probably an important thing of she had struggled throughout her life to, to find balance in terms of how she expressed emotion, not bipolar in the kind of the traditional sense of she never went on like a spending bender or she wasn't manic in that way. It was just either she was really down and really down on herself or she was up and had a lot of energy but still functioning kind of. And just in the past year or two years of when she was alive, she had really gotten a handle on it. It wasn't, she was probably one of the most centered people I knew, very self-aware, just really fun and awesome. Not the, the crazy, you know, you know, label that we put on people that have, you know, that are labeled with a mental illness. And she, because of all of her past experiences, you know, with, you know, an engagement ending a few years, be, you know, maybe six years before. Um, it just wasn't the right timing or, you know, um, being hospitalized when she was 17 um, in a mental institution to after she accidentally, she was big into drugs in high school and she overdosed on accident. And, dealing, you know, it's just, it was a rocky road for a while when she was younger, uh, boarding schools and whatnot. And I think finding out that her husband was cheating on her and they had only been married for seven months and he wanted a divorce 
and he was really, really emotionally abusive, it just kind of tipped her over and just made a really terrible decision. I, I think it was more so a um, a cry for help more than anything. Um, I think she thought he was going to come downstairs and like kind of save her, to be honest. And yeah, it was it, it was never. I don't know. I I didn't ever have um association with suicide. It wasn't a oh my sister's really down. She's going to kill herself. That was never the you know the talk in my head. It was just Maya's really upset. You know, I'm going to sit on the phone with her and we'll talk it through and she'll be okay. Um, so it was it was very startling for me to hear that, you know, she killed herself. And I just, yeah, I, she she was truly like one of my close, like my cheerleader, you know, very, very tough. I mean, I mean, it's been nine years and just talking about it is very emotional for me. So, yeah. Well, but you for- I, you know, part of, yeah, <laughs> part of, you know, I, I write about it a lot of times. That's kind of a way that I, get it out. And then part of the intention in writing my book was I was just so scared to forget about her or forget all the, you know, the little bits and pieces and, and, and not feel like she was like living anymore. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And, you know, I can, I can feel the, the pain, right. When you're, when you're speaking about, about her and, and how much you loved her, you know, and how much you still love her. And I think a lot of people have those similar fears. I know I did when I lost my father, that you want to remember those memories. You want to try to make make the most of the time that you had together, right? And as time go, yeah. goes on, we don't want to forget about that stuff. So it's nice that you, you did write a book and to sort of understand, I think, a little bit about her process. I know like doing talks with people um, that have other, like had loved ones commit suicide, they always state, for the most part, they never expected it to, to occur, you know? And that's what you're yeah. saying. Like, you didn't expect this to occur. And it's, it's one of those things that it complicates grief because you're trying to process, could I have done anything? You know, how does this occur? And then you're trying to find reason and understanding. And so I know in your book, you sort of talk about that you sort of found sort of an understanding on why she killed herself. Was it because, as you just said, the she was actually not trying to? It was more like seeking attention? I mean, there's... Yeah, I. so it, it was kind of a weird thing that we kind of started to learn there was a lot more going on that she never, in, as open as Maya was with me and with my parents and my sisters, she definitely hid certain things about what was going on in her relationship. We knew it was rocky, but I, I didn't realize to the extent, like, you know, he once threw a knife or um, she had purged one night and he ripped up the you know the the bathroom and you know or or pushed her against the wall and choked her one night that kind of stuff that she hid so that was I didn't realize to what extent it it was kind of a really bad situation um so that was part of the the shock for me but she had watched this episode it's really silly but there's this episode on Desperate Housewives I guess that was in her you know Google search like like history. And I guess she had watched it a week before. And there, then one of the episodes is this woman stages her suicide, like a hanging upstairs and her husband or boyfriend, or I don't know the characters. I didn't ever watch the show except for this scene, but walks in, you know, finds a scissor sitting next to her, cuts her down. And 
I don't know if that was, you know, something going on in my sister's head. I I know that, you know, it's a mystery kind of where her husband was at the time. There's like a four-hour uh, window where the police still don't really understand where he was. It's still technically an open investigation. And I think I'm about 99% sure he knew exactly what she was doing downstairs, that she threatened to do it. And he just kind of let her. And he, you know, walked downstairs, found her eventually, and then just ran out of the house. Didn't try to help, nothing. Never came to the funeral, wouldn't give us her thing. Like, it was just a disaster. But trying, you know, in in writing the book, it was it was taking a reader through, like, the true process of, you know, of, of claiming her body and, and seeing it and not being prepared for the effects of, you know, of what a hanging does to someone. I, I, I hadn't processed that before, and I, it caused me really terrible PTSD for years. I would say maybe even still now. And, and, and dealing with, you know, with the police and with the investigation and, and piecing it together and looking through her journals and, and really, you know, figuring out, like really going into it as opposed to what I think many people do, especially with suicide, is you just kind of, they push it away. You know, it's a really hard thing to process and to deal with. And so they set it aside. And, you know, we're kind of built and in, in programmed to almost like shut down our emotions. And, you know, I, I force myself to open myself up to that. And, and how can I bring a reader in to to have them understand the process of that and and your you know how you reference you know suicide in particular it it it's true it you're not prepared for it you don't get a chance to say goodbye because it was their choice it's not like a freak accident where you can you know blame something else it's so you have a lot of a lot of mixed emotion including anger toward that person um and then you feel guilty for that anger because it's your loved one and it's it's just it's it's a mess yeah does that does some of that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, of course it does. And it's it's just it's, it's nice to hear that and to hear sort of I said like how you process it and it's not an easy road and that's really what you're trying to express through your writing that it's very difficult yeah. and there's many questions that come up and this is it's a lot different than my own loss in the sense of um how my father passed away. So he had a lot more questions that he had to answer and a lot more things he had to sit with. Yep. And I think yeah. for you to then have to go through and like almost be, you know, Sherlock Holmes to try to figure this out by reading her her journal or reading or looking through um, what kind of website she visited and all that sort of stuff. You're seeing a different side of your sister, I think, that you may not have known before. And yet it's sort of take that in, like mm-hmm. that there's these other parts of her that she kept hidden. And like, that's sad because I know you're probably a person who would all, always like sit with her and hear her stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for her to hide that stuff, it like you have to sort of sit back and say, oh, wow, like she still didn't feel like safe to, to share that information. And so you just get a glimpse yes. of who the person is as a whole. And I think, you know, I learned that a little bit further with my father. Um, you start looking at the person as a whole, their whole life, not just me as a child and he as a father, but like how he was with his friends and everyone else and his mm-hmm. relationships. And you get a different idea of the person that you cared for or that you love so much. Mm-hmm. And so how was that for you and changing the identity of how you saw your sister? Yeah, I, it's, um, I think a lot of what played into that, it, it was twofold. It was one that I was a younger sister. I was 
I was 21, you know, when she died. I had never been in love. I had, you know, just this boy for the first time a few years before. I I didn't really understand the the emotional effect of heartbreak and how much it tore her apart. I, I, I just didn't get it. There, there's no other way to, you know, so I didn't understand the severity of, you know, I, I sat on the phone with her. I, I think I was, other than most likely her ex-husband or husband or whatever you want to call him, I was the last person to speak to her. And, you know, we, we sat on the phone and she was just really, you know, crying and upset. And, you know, we, we just, I just kept saying, my, you know, like, you don't want to be with someone that doesn't unconditionally love you. And, you know, you'll get through this and it'll be okay. And I, you know, the whole idea of suicide didn't ever cross my mind. And I, so I think that the age was one thing because I just didn't understand it totally. But I think a lot of it also was embarrassment was, you know, she would walk around the house naked and he just wouldn't look at her. And I mean, and my sister was gorgeous and fit and, you know, sexy. And it was, I, I, I saw glimpses of it. You know, I would sit, I remember earlier that fall, maybe a month, two months before, there were many mornings where, you know, she would call me, it'd be like 6 a.m. and she'd be whispering on the phone or 8 a.m. or something. And I'd be like, Maya, I can't hear you, like speak up. And she'd be, you know, I, I can't talk any louder. Michael will be mad if I talk louder. And it was like, you could hear that, you know, and I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing. Like, who cares? Just talk, you know, like you're in a different room in the house. Like he's already up, like who cares? And so I, she showed me glimpses, but not totally. So when I had to step back and, and really go into that investigation, it, it did, it opened me up to not necessarily parts of my sister that I, I just didn't know all the details. But I knew my sister. I, I I knew what she felt. And I knew how she, I just I started connecting it with with all of her in a way that I hadn't before. I started to understand it in a way. It was it's almost like you look at a math problem and you process it as numbers and you know it's a math problem and you can kind of figure out some of it and you can connect with how difficult it is. But until something kind of switches like that light bulb moment, someone would say, all of a sudden it's Oh, I get it. And and that's what was part of, you know, reading her journals and looking through the coroner's report and talking to her friends and, and interviewing her therapist and, and all these things that I did only because I was writing a book. I don't know if I would have really dove deep had I not been. You know, the, the book kind of pushed me to to learn more about it and to understand it and, and, and really deal with it. So for that, I'm thankful for my writing. If I wasn't a writer, I, I, I honestly, I probably wouldn't have dealt with it for years, unfortunately. Wow. And I didn't, wow, you really like, yeah, dived really deep. And, you know, I said, I'm, I'm glad you have, because I know it's the impact. And you said like how much you've grown from it. I think there's a lot of people mm-hmm. even made, that may be listening that are, or that have sort of relationships that you know, that aren't unconditionally loving or they're just, you know, like they're painful in a lot of ways. What did you learn about your sister and why she maintained that relationship? I think my sister had been through so much over the years and struggled with, with partners and friends and family, even not, not understanding her, not seeing her as how, how, how she really was and or or pushing her to the side you know my you're too much 
and and she saw this man that needed a lot of self-work and she thought, okay, I'm finally centered myself and I'm very clear and even though I have my own issues, um, I can help him. And, you know, and, and they went to therapy and, you know, she was, she, she kept feeling, you know, she would write about this in her journal of here are all his wounds and how can I help him? I, I, you know, I can help him. Like, this is on me to, I unconditionally love him. I'm not going to like, you know, I'm going to put the work in for this. And so it was, you know, my dad once said maybe a year after she died or a few months, I can, I, I can picture him saying it to me in the sunroom porch, uh, the idea of, you know, she had her own struggles and she found someone with his own and she wanted to help him. And, 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 and that was the dynamic. It was, I love this man. I want it to work. They lived in a very small town in Colorado. There weren't a lot of options. Her dream was to have a family and be a mother and a wife and, you know, and run her yoga studio. And she wanted to make that work no matter what. And she wanted to be married once. And, you know, and it was, and she just was so attached to that that image of, you know, I I can make this work and, and I'm the person to help him grow that she she allowed it almost to like overtake her and, and not realize that he just was just a terrible human being. His um his ex girlfriend who Maya kinda of befriended to like help understand him better had even said to us at her memorial service had I been married to him and not just dating him, I would have killed myself too. Um, it was just the way that he treated women or his wife. I don't know his relationships. It was it, so it was. It wasn't just her. It was. It, it just broke her down. Um, but I think she stayed in that because of those. You know, because of her past, she she saw an opportunity to. You know what? I love you. I'm going to help. Yeah. Unfortunately for us. <laughs> Yeah, it's very interesting. Like, as you sort of said, she had these dreams and goals of being married only once and having a, a family. And it's interesting how I think a lot of people get caught up into these dreams of what they want to be happy almost. And it almost yeah. puts like a blinder on their face and they're choosing people not because they actually thought about it, but they're actually just going towards this dream. I think that's yeah. sort of you say, what you're saying is that like you really have to sort of step back and really understand, you know, what is actually going to make you happy. And it's not the dream. It's basically who you're with in the dream. And yeah. I think she just sort of took someone that was, you said, was suffering. And, you know, what I've learned along the way is that people who are suffering, they tend to put, you know, suffering on others, right? And uh, it's just understanding that, like, when you do get involved with someone in a relationship or have friends with someone that have a lot of trauma, right? There's a lot of issues they need to deal with before they can provide you that love that you're seeking yourself. And it's yeah. just, I think that's, you know, she was seeking love from someone that really couldn't give it at that time. And, you know, mm -hmm. that made her depressed. And that's sort of, like, it's a big, it's a big uh, expression of relationship when you can't receive that love that you want. You go to extremes to try to get it um, from someone, as you said, like the individual, he just didn't seem like he could offer any kind of love to anyone outside himself. So, yeah, it's a tragedy that. Uh, she had to go that way, but you said in your in your in your talk so far that you've gained some knowledge from this about yourself. Can you speak upon like what you've learned along the way? Yeah, I you know you hinted at it about. I, I see it oftentimes. I mean, I'm 31 and single, and a lot of the reason you know, I guess when I really think about it, like yeah, I could be dating someone, 
but I don't want to just be dating anyone. I want to be dating someone that's right for me and that is emotionally mature himself and has worked through his stuff so he can really give. And I, I think most people, you know, it's it's kind of on us to learn about ourselves, to grow, to deal with wounds, and then welcome someone into our lives. And I think that people kind of settle a lot where they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be alone or this is okay. This is good enough. And that was, I think, what my sister did. It was, you know, well, this is my option. You know, this is good enough. He loves me, I think. But in terms of, it's a weird thing because I I would love to have my sister back, obviously. But in many ways, you know, I've learned so much about myself and have grown so, like, I'm still me, but it's, I have so much more understanding about the way that I function. I'm so much happier. I'm so much more balanced. I'm pursuing something that I love. I don't know if I would have gotten to this place, at least now in my life, had she not died. And it does, it forces you to grow in a different way. I I was doing things at 22 that no one that I really knew was dealing with that kind of stuff. One or two people. And none of them through suicide. It was, you know, a a childhood friend's brother drowned, you know, and so he was working through that. Or, you know, maybe someone's mom died in a car accident or but it it does it it forces you to really look at yourself and work on yourself and become comfortable with the ways that you struggle and the ways that you you know, you're succeeding and then kind of mend the two to become more whole. I am I'm, I'm kind of I'm thankful for the opportunity almost to, to do some of that work. And I, 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 I don't I really don't know if I would be who I am now had, you know, had I not had been forced almost to work through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I see it oftentimes, you know, with people in relationships and I, you know, they're, they're trying hard to make it work. And it just sometimes it, you know, it's just not the right person or it, it's about I guess like Hallmark as it is, you know, you, you really truly have to love yourself and understand yourself before you can welcome people in and not put your own stuff on someone else. And and I, I, I really learned that from, from my sister and just from her dynamic and, and their relationship for sure. Wow, I think it's an important lesson as as I said, like as you go through the world and have your own experiences to always reflect on them. And mm-hmm. to really sort of see sort of who am I and how can I love myself a little bit more through these events. And I'm glad you sort of took that that path and learned something from your sister's relationships and through her passing and actually in help and seeing other people and talking to other people about their loss. I have just one. I'm just really curious. I know because of the way the circumstances are with the boyfriend or ex-husband, how was the process in forgiving him? Have you got there yet? Because you now reading all these stories, yeah. you know a lot more about how he behaved with someone you loved. Like, is that still a process you're trying to work through? Yeah, I go through. So it's a, a very, he, he ended up starting to date a girl that he, that she knew married to her. Now they have kids. He's like completely, moved on. I mean, they started dating like three months after she died. He has like a whole brand new life. We have had almost no interaction with him. 
be on pretty much once he finally gave us her dog. It was just like cut off. In terms of forgiving him, it's it's hard. I like to say, you know, all right, you know, like no hard feelings kind of thing, but it's not really how I feel. I I do blame him a lot, to be honest. I If she wasn't married to him, she would be alive. I mean, that's just the reality of it. If, you know, if he hadn't treated her how he did, she wouldn't have gotten to that space. Yes, it could have been something else that tripped her up, but not in this way. It's very clear that this is what he, you know, he has a pattern of this um, violent behavior, abusive behavior with women. And, you know, Maya just took it to an extreme just based on her personality and, and her history. I, I, you know, I, I hate to be that part, you know, I, I, I get over things pretty quickly. If, if you know me in terms of friendships, you know, it's like, all right, that pissed me off. Okay, let's just go and hang out. I, I you know, I, I find for the most part humor in most things. And it's just, you know, I, this is that one example of, I will never forgive him. If I saw him, I'd probably punch him. <laughs> I, you know, I just wrote a really intense, I never really shared for whatever reason, even in the Must Girls Love, there are certain details of what I found out and what what all was exchanged in our phone calls and, you know, how he tried to call me first so I could tell my parents instead of him and, you know, little, little details that I, I wrote a poem the other night, it just kind of came out of me and even my mom emailed it to him, I think, to be like, this is what you did, that this is you know, you really destroyed our family. And I wish I could say that I've, you know, forgiven him and, and he's a human and whatnot, but I, I I do just, I've learned so much about him and everything that went on that I, there's not much goodness really there. I think most people are really wonderful, loving, giving people, and he's one of those exceptions. And I wish that wasn't the case. You know, there was he didn't come to her funeral. He brought his girlfriend to her memorial service. He wouldn't let us in the house. He showed up with an attorney to the police station. He wouldn't tell us where he was. I mean, there were so many things that, you know, it's just like it became literally felt like a lifetime movie of like, what the hell is going on? Um, and, and you know, I wish I could tell, you know, like the podcast listeners that there's you know, there's forgiveness at the end, but I, it's more of forgiveness for my sister that she made that decision and she kind of disrupted so much because I, I understand it more now, but when it comes to him, it's, it's, it's just not possible. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily like want him to die or something, you know, like something. So, you know, it's just a, I have a lot of anger still toward him. I think all of our family does um, in many ways. Yeah, and it's interesting because we had a guest on, Darwin Dave, I forget which episode it was, but he sort of talked about his father actually was murdered um, by someone mm-hmm. in that would uh, come to the grocery store and get free food. And he had to go through the process of forgiving. And he, he says he, he's got to that point now. And I think it is one of those things that I know you say you maybe never will, but I think as your heart opens up and you move forward, I think that's one of those things with grief that you have to come to terms with in one way or another, because it is such an important part of, um, you could say, healing. And when we hold Mm -hmm. that anger and that resentment 
and that blame, we tend to sort of, I think, limit ourselves on how truly special and loving you can be uh, to others in the world um, as you move forward. So, you know, like, as I say, like right now you have it and that's cool, right? Like this is the grief journey yeah. and you have your whole life to sort of play with this idea. And I guess a lot of people have that. They get, uh, like I said, like they, in a one way or another, you blame him for her death. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of people get murdered in this world and their journey yeah. of forgiving is, is very difficult. And I haven't had to do that myself, but mm -hmm. talking to people, that is one of the great strengths in life if you can. So I hope yeah. uh, as you move forward, that is something that you sort of play with in your mind as you move forward to say that maybe it is possible, maybe like 1% yeah. chance it is possible because yeah. I think that, that will help you. I think as you move forward. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the struggle for me, just knowing how I operate, is because I haven't seen him. I don't live around him. My, my connection or my associations with him are solely on how he was and what he did and how he acted. And I, I've never had the opportunity to, like, replace those, that experience. It's just, I compartmentalize it as like, that's Mike in Colorado, that's him as a person. And maybe if that wasn't the case, maybe if I was seeing him around town more, or maybe, you know, I, I didn't think that that was how we treated other people. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely a struggle, you know, and I, I, I would, I would love to not hold that, that anger inside. It's definitely there and, and affects me in in you know, in my own journey to seek love and in relationships, I definitely struggle with, you know, I won't ever be with a man who doesn't treat me well, but I've definitely flirted with, you know, certain short flings that, you know, men haven't respected me well enough. And, and I entertain it for a little bit. And then I remind myself, the hell am I doing? My sister killed my, herself over this kind of shit. Like, why am I, you know, but it's what you said is important, you know, and I, I, I hope that one day I, I do get there. You know, I, I don't know how or in when or, but it's, it's always important to, you know, I'll, I'll say to friends if they, if they're grieving or, you know, they lost someone really close. And a lot of people now reach out to me for kind of advice. And I say, whatever you're doing is okay. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's your journey to understand and to process and, and to move forward. And I guess that's what I would tell myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I think it's one of the hardest things a person can do is learn how to forgive someone who's wronged them in that way, who's hurt someone so close to them. Like, like I'm just thinking of things in my head where like, you know, if you have a child and like a drunk driver, you know, kills your child, like how do you come yeah. to terms with that type of traumatic, traumatic, painful event? And it is like, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do, like I said. So I think, you know, I think you're doing the right thing. I think, I mean, even in this conversation, you've, you know, just like you said earlier, like, you, you know, you can change your mind and adapt. You can learn, you know, from saying I'll never forgive him to, you know, maybe in the future, hopefully in the future, yeah. something can trigger something can happen. And, you know, with that mindset of, of learning and growing and loving yourself, which you clearly are, you know, you're on that path, you could possibly get to some sort of um, peace with that. So, you know, yeah. that's that's pretty I incredible. You know, that kind of ties into, um, and we haven't spoken about that yet, but while I was writing Must Girls Love, I was working on, Sean had referenced the 
the Living Witnesses um, Holocaust Survivor books. And that was very eye-opening for me was I was interviewing and talking to and, and listening to interviews that were recorded of hundreds of Holocaust survivors and that, you know, some of them for sure, they, they're still very bitter and they're very angry and very sad. But then there's some that are almost like, like you want to be like, you're, you're too optimistic, you know, and that they've forgiven and they have embraced like that this is, this is their path and this is what happened and it's okay. And in many ways it was really inspiring. It was, it was very hard to, you know, to, we were, we were photo, my mom was photographing survivors and I was writing their stories and we, we made it into two different um, books, uh, one was uh, a Detroit area, Detroit-based survivors. And uh, I think it was 92 or 91 survivors included in that book. And the second series was international, so it was eight countries total. And it was, you know, it, it went back to forgiveness. And how do, you, how do you take something so horrific, such as the Holocaust, and watching your father be, you know, gassed, how do you forgive? How do you move on and let go of that anger? And, and, and grieve it in a proper way, but then like release that emotion so it's not holding you down so much. It's it's really challenging, and I I don't know how some of them did it, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and that's a great segue as well. Is is you know the work that you've did you've done with this this book series of living witnesses. I mean, that's incredibly important. You know, I can just imagine the interviews and getting to touch these people and their personal stories. Um, walk us through that and, and as you were writing it in the process and what was involved and also working with your mom, maybe. Yeah, so my mom is a super talented photographer. She does um, um, almost exclusively portraits and it, it can be anything. It can be newborns, it can be high school seniors, family portraits. And she was someone had reached out to her we're, we're Jewish and that's not necessarily the reason we did the book. It was much more of a, you know, Detroit has a very, a very large Jewish population and neither of my, neither side of my family were in the Holocaust. We came over, I think before world war one or maybe right after. So fortunately I didn't, you know, grew up with that experience. So many of my friends, um, their grandparents were survivors. Um, most of them don't talk about it. And my mom was asked, you know, hey, will you photograph a couple survivors? And it was maybe four or five months after Maya died. And she, you know, started thinking about it and maybe spoke to one or two. And she kind of came up with this idea of, you know what, there's all these survivors. Most of them have never shared their story. They're all going to be dying within five, ten years. Let's, let's make a book. And, you know, and being the writer, she, you know, she brought me on and it became this journey. It was really challenging. I, you know, I was you know, dealing with my sister's death and writing Must Girls Love and dealing with anger toward my family and, you know, not getting along with my sister. I mean, it was just a lot going on those first couple of years. But it was, you know, I, w- I would sit with some of the, especially the Detroit area survivors. Those were the ones that I really met in person. The second book, the international series, other than traveling to Berlin, I didn't do much of the traveling. My mom and her assistant, Linda, they pretty much flew all over the world for like a year or two years. Um, unbelievable, and met with all these people and recorded their stories, and then I would piece it together. I was in the second one. I was um, living in Chicago, going um, to grad school at Northwestern for writing, and simultaneously working on this book, and I would sit on my couch and just, like, cry 
And I felt like I was kind of grieving each other's stories every day. And it was very heavy, very, very heavy. And I don't think most people really knew what I was even doing during that time. And it it was a really beautiful process. And I mean, not many people I know, you know, even have ever met a survivor. And And getting a look into their story, whether it was they escaped on a kinder transport or they were, you know, in Auschwitz or they were a twin and they were a lot of, you know, experimentation on their bodies. And it was a, it was a process that, again, it went back to how can you understand grief more? How can you understand, you know, struggles that people go through and then connect in a deeper way, human to human and, and realize, you know, Maybe the the reason that someone's really happy or really sad or angry or this or that or why they're doing certain things or why they have a big family or, you know, it, it all goes back to history and their past and then in understanding that and then being more empathetic um, to one another. And whether it's, you know, writing a memoir about my sister's suicide or writing Holocaust books about someone's story 60 years before that I don't have a direct reference to just hearing a spoken word about it, it, it was very powerful, you know, and, and my mom captures them and in, in kind of who they are. That was the intention in each photo was, you know, can she position them, you know, m- maybe at their sewing kit because they, they sew blankets and maybe they're, I, I, you know, I'm kind of just, you know, maybe they held on to their blankie throughout all of Auschwitz and that's why they sew now. Or, I mean, it could be so, there were so many different stories and, and so many different photographs taken. Um, some were just basic headshots and, and others were much more, you know, produced and, and put in certain situations or at, at certain locations that were really meaningful, but really just just life-changing experience as a writer to, to have that opportunity. And then hopefully someone reads it just like reading the memoir. You know, you read someone else's story and you understand someone better. How does someone else deal with grief? Do they make their life come become more lively or do they do they ruminate in it? Do they forgive or do they, you know, kind of hold on to it? Absolutely. And thank you for doing something like that because it's, look, it's a global event that took place that we all kind of know about. And I think obviously we need to take the best lessons out of what the tragedy took place. And I read, I read a book. I remember the author, it was uh, Victor Frankl. I forget the name of the book, but um, so he, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Amazing book. And he does a good job of highlighting the strength of these survivors, the strength of these people mm-hmm. and the people who, who lost their lives as well mm-hmm. and how they were able to, you know, really showcase the true essence of what it means to be a human and be strong and to carry that with you forward and i think your book does you know this living witnesses series uh it does that it 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 honors that memory of those people Mm -hmm. and and that's that's an amazing thing for this for this world in general yeah no i a lot of the survivors shared stories pieces of it if especially if they were at um, concentration camps where their mother or father or whomever would say to them, you must survive to tell your story. You know, you want the world to know. And that was, you know, it was very much about the strength of, of humans to, 
to live, to to want to live, to want to love. And it was it was not so much, I think, more than anything, what what propels someone to survive in that kind of environment is is the desire to love and to reconnect with loved ones more so than hate. I think that love is way more powerful and and the idea that they can live and and experience life again is pushed many of them to deal with starvation and deal with, you know, horrors and whatever else was going on. And it's just sometimes I, you know, especially when I was writing the book, sometimes I was like, Ugh, what I've dealt with is almost nothing like these people. Like, why am I struggling? You know, and then it just went back to, you know, your struggle is not greater than mine and my struggle is not greater than yours. It's all struggle and it's all how we affect each, you know, how how it affects us. And And no matter how it affects us, great or small or, I'm struggling with alcoholism or drug abuse or binge eating or, you know, depression or sex addiction or whatever, however, like maybe bad way that you're dealing with something. It's never, it's all the human condition and it's all understanding one another. And I think, you know, that's always the intention in my writing. How, how can we connect in a better way? So we understand someone. And then when it happens to us, we can review that and go, oh, okay. Like here's some perspective on this. You know, how can I do better for me and and for people that I love? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it. It's it's if we didn't tell these stories, we wouldn't learn, we wouldn't grow, we wouldn't develop as a society, as a community, as people. And you know, you telling you know Maya's story and working through that—that's important because somebody's going to read that, somebody's going to listen to this podcast and maybe hear something that they wouldn't have thought of, and and maybe approach things a little differently whether through their light, their own personal struggle or through in a relationship, what have you. And then, you know, we talked about the living witnesses and obviously, you know, people are well aware of the Holocaust, but again, telling the story and, and with, with you sharing it and having these portraits, it's a different way that we can learn and tell that story and, and honor those memories, but also like, you know, let people know and learn. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Um, have have you speaking about you know obviously we we like to talk about loss. We have to talk about dreams. Have you had any dreams in terms of the losses that you've had? For sure, I I've always as a kid um, struggled with a lot of nightmares for whatever reason. My I, I'm very active in my in when I sleep, um, unfortunately. And I used to have this one recurring dream as a kid, but. When it comes to my sister, especially, there was one that I had a few times, and it was very, um, very traumatic for me. Where, you know, Sam standing, it's kind of we're like in a field almost, and I'm, I'm like, two hundred meters away from her, and she's on the other side of this fence, and I'm screaming her name, and, you know, Maya, run to me, run to me, and she. Like is yeah, I can tell that she's screaming or saying something, and I can't hear her, and she can't move, you know. And I just wake up very frazzled, and and that was definitely kind of a reoccurring dream for a while, you know. Just it just went back to just the whole situation and and feeling like I had no power to help her. Very very intense. Um, but then you know, occasionally she would just be in a dream, or not super common. Or I would feel her presence and very comforting. I wish she visited me more in my dreams or that would remember it. But, you know, that that would be nice is to just be on a bike ride with her or to be back in Thailand with her. Or, you know, I, I think dreams are very powerful. And usually I dream things that 
the opposite happen. So like I fail the test, I pass it in real life. Um, <laughs> but, you know, having the space and I, I, I believe in the spirit world. I, I'm scared of it in, in many ways, but I, I do believe that spirits are around and it's very hokey pokey in my mind in many ways. And in other ways, I'm like, no, this is real. Like I, I know she's right here. I know my grandpa visits me. I know my great aunt who drowned, you know, was around and is helping care for Maya. Dreams are really powerful to me. So, you know, that that was one of the things that, you know, pulled me into your guys' podcast specifically was linking grief and dreams. And I think a lot of the way that I processed her death was while I was sleeping and and allowing my my mind to kind of um, settle into certain realities um, in a in a like an unconscious state. <laughs> Yeah, and I think say like your first dream that you sort of shared the recurring dream. I think you're spot on because it was referring to your loss, right? And what you're trying to, what you're going through at the time, especially if it's recurring like that, you see that a lot of in, in trauma uh, victims with PTSD and stuff. That sort of there's this thing underlying issue that needs to be sort of looked at, right? And the mind, mm-hmm. you know, when you're sleeping, your mind is trying to help you. Like I believe that, right? I believe it's trying to mm-hmm. work on some of the emotional. Uh, issues that are blocking our happiness and so it's yeah. nice that you, you're I think aware of that because some people might interpret that a little differently so it's nice that you're aware of that yeah and it's nice that you sort yeah. of say you have this belief that she's around I as I you know, say like on the podcast all the time you know it doesn't you know like we're not here to debate if it is or not but if it's working for you if it's helping for you that's beautiful and continue exactly. to believe that right and that's a beautiful yeah. thing, I think, to think that your loved ones around you and providing love and taking care of you and and with all the other family members that have passed on, I think that's just, if it's helping you, I think that's amazing and to continue to to believe that. And so yeah. you, you talked a little bit about what dream maybe you may want to have. Let's like, you want to play a little and like make one up. Like, so if you were to yeah. go to bed tonight, like what kind of dream uh-huh. you would like? There was, we had talking about like the spirit world we there was a we had seen maybe two weeks after Maya died a, a medium that we that's pretty well known and Rebecca had said you know like Maya's heaven so to speak is that she's mountain biking I, and the way that she described the place I think it was Moab Utah where she was actually married um, and she loved that area and you know like sun's out blue sky mountain biking red rocks and you know that would be biking around I love being on my bike and my dog runs next to me while I bike and I I I, that would be something that would be very comforting to me just playing you know and enjoying each other and and not making it so heavy and not feeling like she's gone just just being sisters nice would be anything you guys want to say or it's just like the image of you guys just biking together I don't know if there would be much said more just laughter <laughs> okay yeah sometimes you people know? have like a catchphrase that yeah. they always use <laughs> um well you know i so that's why i titled my book must girls love it was something that maya would you know kind of would say or write you know must girls love like sabrina must my last name we're all girls and you know i could kind of see her like shouting that or mm. when the last time i spoke to her uh, we hung up before we hung up. It, she had said, you know, I love you so much, Beaner, so much. You know that so much. And, you know, I love you too, my, you know, and, and, and that, that phrase, those, those words have kind of re- replayed in certain dreams, but it would be nice to, 
instead of have it associated with something so heavy, um, something light. And, and those would be the only words. It wouldn't have to be a whole discussion. It would, you know, just, just playfulness and enjoying each other and feeling like she's tangible. Mm. That, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, it does sound really nice. And is there something that she liked to wear? Um, yoga pants and tank tops. Okay, She's always yeah. in yoga clothes. <laughs> any any particular? Me, I was in summer dress. I can picture her in this rusty orange tank top and black spandex. That you know, or blue tank tops. But yeah, I, there's this one that in particular that I remember her wearing, and it nice. kind of like cut at her belt, like maybe like wasn't super long tank top kind of like showed a little bit of her belly but yeah that would and be and maybe and are you a baseball wearing, cap oh, okay and are you wearing something in, similar yeah i'm always in summer dresses i love summer dresses so i would probably be in my flip-flops and summer dress just biking along with her oh i can picture you know like you said the red rocks you know nice little bike ride going on maybe monkeys beside you yeah yeah that, that sounds great we really hope you have that tonight yeah, that would be wonderful. So that's amazing. I'll, and as as, as you were, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just. I will try to manifest that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, I was also thinking as you were speaking um, earlier about your last words to your sister. Wow, you know, you guys had you shared that. You know that that you expressed your love for each other. So that's also you know a, a special yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I um, it's very. I feel very, um, it makes me cry when I think about it. Very thankful for that moment. I didn't realize what it, you know, like what it meant, like the finality of it. But I'm, I, I feel like in many ways, because that was the last one to speak to her, it was, you know, something that I could share with my other sisters, my parents. And um, I just feel like it was very much what she felt for all of us. So, yeah, it would, it just, yeah, still very hard, you know. Absolutely. In which I'm, I'm sure you, you know, feel about your dad and anyone that we lose. It's always very hard. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your journey. It, it's it's remarkable when you have these conversations. It always touches my heart and always like opens it up. And you know, yeah. I, I I feel for like the the struggle that you and your family all had to go through, and your sister uh, Maya that had to go through. And it's nice that you're you're able to have the courage to come on here and share it with the world. And I think, you know, that's the biggest thing. When you have courage, you know, a lot of everything's possible. And by doing that, I think it, you know, hopefully it helped you in your journey a little bit. And hopefully it's helping other people's in theirs. I know it's helping me and mine as I learn more about my own loss and different questions I never asked or different things I never got a chance to do or say. Um so, you know, I'm amazed with what you're doing, where you're going, and I'm so happy that you were able to come on here and share about that. And I'm looking forward to actually reading your book and sharing with people I know, because I, just by talking to you, I know it's probably something that's um, really, really moving. And I think it'll get to the, the core of a lot of issues that we all sort of face. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for having me. This was really, I mean, heavy, but enjoyable and, and hopefully helpful for other people for sure. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's a, it's, yeah. You know, we're sharing a story. We're sharing the story, your story, as well as uh, you know the the books that you've written and and letting people know about how how grieving process and death, you know how how you've been able to overcome that trauma 
I was just thinking, I was thinking about this, uh, I think Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, it touches upon people who are able to take adversity or tragedy and move past it and eventually use that to fuel them further and and kind of Mm -hmm. enhance their lives and make make it and and be positive for everybody around them and and you're one of those people who you know this thing happened it was a tragedy and and very sad and, and obviously you know amazingly devastatingly emotional but you're able to move past that learn from it have it you know solidify you change you and make you into a stronger person in the end so that's that's uh, a positive to that that we can take but yeah so um sabrina what or what are some contacts where people can reach you someone can pick up your book maybe yeah so if they go to sabrinamust.com there's links for um, my books and you can read must girls love on amazon from kindle is probably the easiest way and um, you can check out the living witnesses. There's some links there and it connects you to the website. Those are, you know, copy table style books, very big books, It's not on Amazon. It's, you know, something that you could put there. I think there's like one or two examples on my website. And that's also where my blog is. I, I write about, you know, it's not just heavy stuff. It's ridiculous dating stories. It's it's all over the place, uh, travel, whatnot. But um, that's kind of, I have links to Instagram and Facebook there. And SabrinaMust.com is, is kind of the easiest way to to definitely get in touch with me so yeah perfect thank you so much we look forward to hearing about you in the future and, and reading some of your work and uh, that's that's excellent um we want to share our platform stuff so please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic if you have facebook you can join the grief dreams facebook group check us out on instagram and twitter at grief dreams This podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcasting platforms. And if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. So yeah, we like to end uh, with love and gratitude from us to you. beginning.